And the reading this evening comes from a book of Acts, uh, Acts chapter 4, uh, in the, on page one, 1095 in the Church Bible. And as you're turning to that, just to set the scene, uh, Luke describes many exciting things. The book of Acts is a really exciting book, and these first few chapters really get off with huge momentum. Uh, in the first chapter, you recall uh, Jesus having been having died and risen, appears to the apostles, and he promises that the Holy Spirit would come. In chapter 2, it comes, uh, and Peter from that is inspired and stands up and addresses the crowd in ways which really took them by surprise. And then in chapter 3, Peter goes into the temple and he heals somebody. And that is a shock. Uh, And then he goes on to explain where he's coming from uh, and uh, the issues. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And he goes on to say, Repent then, and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out. Not what they were expecting. So if we go into chapter 4, that's the background, uh, and Peter and John uh, have to appear before the Sanhedrin. So reading then from the fourth chapter of the book of Acts. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John. But because it was the evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard about the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas and John and Alexander and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name do you do this? Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but who God raised from the dead that this man stands before you healed. Jesus, he is, Jesus, is the stone that you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. And Peter goes on to say, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see that the man who, see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing 
that they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have done an outstanding miracle and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men not to speak. So I warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in his name. So they called them back again and commanded them to not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. This is God's word. Mm. Thanks be to God. Mm. Thanks, Chris, very much. It's a great passage, isn't it? Uh, we're going to spend a bit of time not going to look at it all because there's too much there, but just uh, want to pick out a few things that I feel will be helpful to us as we uh, think about our, sharing our story. And then we'll uh, break into little groups and help each other um, take what we know of Jesus and think, how can I share this with my friends? Uh, as we come to God's word, let's just pray together. Heavenly Father, this is, is indeed your word and your word is powerful. It speaks life as we were learning this morning. And we long to share life with those who do not have spiritual life. So please help us to understand more of what it means to share our story with those who don't know you. And I pray that you would give us confidence to leave here tonight longing to share the best news in the world with those that we meet. Please help us now to understand all that this passage teaches in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I guess a majority of people who are here tonight will say you love the Lord Jesus and you sometimes, maybe often, struggle to share your faith with others. Uh, there'll be some who find it very easy. There are a few who are very natural at that, and it's sort of, they're evangelists, they're a great gift to the church, but most of us find it difficult. Um, but if you love the Lord Jesus and you want to share something of what he's done in your life with others, then this is a great place to be tonight, because that's all we're going to do between now and when we leave. I don't know if you remember, if you were here at the vision evening when we were trying to unpack some of the vision of the church going forward, I looked at the passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and there was a, a lovely picture that Paul paints where he talks about the gospel, which he describes as treasure, being placed in jars of clay, the kind of weak, brittle, unimpressive jars, to show that the all-surpassing power is from God, not us. That was the picture he painted, this amazing message of salvation, of life, of forgiveness, has been given to you and me, and we often feel like weak, not that impressive, clay jars, to show that the power is not in us, it's in him. That was the truth of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And the reason I've chosen Acts chapter 4 is because it's a really, as Chris explained, it's a really exciting passage 
that really puts 2 Corinthians 4 into a story, into real action, takes a, a truth, and you see it at work in this story. And it's an amazing story, as has already been explained. Chapter 3, if you look down, Peter has healed um, a lame beggar. And then the beginning of our reading, there was this opposition. Uh, you see there the opposition. People didn't want them um, to be speaking in the name of Jesus and teaching what they have. But, verse 4, many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who were believed grew to about 5,000. The pattern you see all the way through the book of Acts is opposition leads to gospel growth. Every single time. It's an amazing encouragement. Every time there's opposition, the next few verses you'll always read gospel growth. Because God's gospel is unstoppable. And human opposition can do nothing to stop his gospel going forward. Then have a look down, chapter 4, verse 5. The next day, Peter and John are hauled before the Jewish ruling council. Now, the Jewish ruling council were called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin. There were 70 of them. And there were other religious leaders there as well. So Peter and John have been pulled before a really big crowd of religious leaders. Probably 100, possibly more. You can imagine how daunting that would be. If you were in a room as the only Christian believer and you were surrounded by a hundred people who, as we see in this story, are giving you opposition, and they shouldn't have been because these were religious leaders you should have known better. But there they are, hauled before these religious leaders. And have a look, verse 8. Peter testifies. I just want to unpack three things that I really hope and pray will encourage all of us as we go out from here to share something of our story. The first thing is in verse 13. You might have to turn over the page. Just notice, when they, that's the religious leaders, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note because these men had been with Jesus. Where it says here they were unschooled, it doesn't mean they didn't go to school. It means these men, Peter and John, um, they weren't, it's effectively saying they hadn't been to Bible college, they weren't pastors, they weren't particularly, they weren't very, very bright people who'd done a lot of reading. They were just normal people like you and me, ordinary. And it's interesting that that's what the writer draws attention to. They were just ordinary men. A number of people have often said to me, you know, I, I so often I don't know how to answer the questions that people give me. I, I don't have answers to the question of science and religion. I don't have answers to all these big theological questions. And that's difficult. And many of us don't have answers to people's questions. But do you know something that these men did have? They knew Jesus. They had been with him. And the great irony is, these men who'd been with Jesus actually knew far more than all the religious leaders. Because the religious leaders knew all the right stuff, but they missed the point completely. Which is why they had hauled up Peter and John before them, saying, why are you teaching in this man's name? Because they were claiming that he was the Messiah, and they didn't like it. It said at the beginning of the reading, they had claimed that he had risen from the dead, and they didn't like that either. These were unschooled, ordinary men, just like many of us. But they did know Jesus. And that's what set them apart. And I just want to encourage you with that, because so often people say to me, I don't have answers to these questions, I don't know this, I don't know that. I want to encourage you, though, do you know Jesus? Because if you do, you have the thing that is powerful when it comes to sharing your story. You don't have to have all the answers. And it doesn't matter how much reading you do, the more reading you do, the more you'll realize you don't know. It's just the truth. But something that all of us have, if we know Jesus, is We know who he is, and that is where the power is. These were unschooled, ordinary men. 
Just listen to what one American writer has, has put. This is a lady who's spoken a lot about how to share your faith, and she writes brilliantly, and she said this. Listen, our problem in evangelism is not that we don't have enough information. It's that we don't know how to be ourselves. We forget we're called to be witnesses to what we have seen and heard, not to what we do not know. The key on our part is authenticity and obedience, not a doctorate in theology. I hope that encourages you. That when Jesus asks you to share what, something of your Christian faith, he's not asking you to know all the que- answers to every question, about to answer every question that's put to you. He's just saying, will you be able to testify to me? What have you seen and heard of me? Can you share that with someone else? I think that's really heartwarming because it takes the pressure of us. We can be ordinary, unschooled people, but we know Jesus. We can share him. I think so often when we're thinking about sharing our faith, we get so caught up in answers to questions that we miss the point completely. The evangel, evangelism is the gospel. It's gospeling people, and the gospel is Jesus Christ. So at the very least, if you're someone who's not very confident, if you know Jesus, you can share something of him with others. And that's a great encouragement. Notice the second thing. It comes up in verse 10 and in verse 12. Peter is speaking and he says, Now know this, you and all the people of Israel, and the irony here is these are the people who should know better, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. It's by the name of Jesus And then look at verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. I think I've said before, we're living in a culture where God, as a name, has become sort of so generic, anyone can speak of God. Muslims can speak of God. Their concept of God is Allah. He doesn't exist. He's not real. But Muslims believe he is. But we speak of God, and it's kind of just pretty soft, and it doesn't really impact anyone. But if you speak of the name of Jesus, it sort of cuts a bit more, doesn't it? It arrests people. Jesus? Because for a lot of people, Jesus is just a swear word. He's a throwaway man who, who lived 2,000 years ago. He's irrelevant as well as he was unpacking this morning. He's weak and pathetic. But it's the name of Jesus that has power. Just notice verse 18. Do you notice something in there? They called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. See, these religious leaders didn't give Peter and John a kind of gagging order or an asbo saying, don't speak. They said, you can't use the name Jesus. That's what they wanted to be silenced. It's his name that they wanted to silence. So I really want to encourage you as you spend time thinking about how you can share something of your story with others, get to Jesus because you could meet with someone who wants to debate endlessly science and religion. It's a great thing to talk about and some people are gifted and can do that. But if you can't, get to Jesus because you can talk of him. Some people want to get into really long theological debates about creation and evolution. They're great things to talk about and some people have the ability to do that, but not everyone. But you can talk about Jesus. Ordinary unschooled people who know him, can speak about him. And to encourage you, notice verse 8. How does this whole section begin? Where Peter speaks, he says, filled with the Holy Spirit. And we unpacked that a few weeks ago in Ephesians, didn't we? So alive to God, allowing God to be influencing all of his life. 
that Peter then had this great confidence and boldness to proclaim. And that is why, verse 13, you get that word courage, or in some translations, boldness. It's the Spirit of God that gives us courage. Um, A number of you this morning very kindly asked about Thursday night, because I mentioned um, I was going down to St. Albans to speak in a pub at a carol service, um, supporting a friend of mine. Now, I can tell you it was a pretty daunting experience. I don't generally find being in front of a group of people scary, um, but being in a pub, which I didn't know, in front of a load of people I didn't know, was daunting. Uh, we were sort of tucked into a corner. There was a music group, and there were mulled wine, mince pies, and they were playing carols, and I'd gone around the pub kind of speaking to people, just saying we're here from a local church, and we're going to sing some carols. The pub's asked us to put this uh, carol service on. And I went up to one bloke who was obviously a regular at the bar and just said, do you want to join in some carols? Happy Christmas. I was just being really joyful. And he just looked at me completely blankly and he goes, no, I don't. Get lost. That put me aback a little bit. Ollie was there. He came down to support. Uh, I then stood up near the front and my friend who's a pastor said to me, oh, you can start now, Mark, if you like. And I looked around. There's about 100, 100 120 people in the pub. You know, what, how do you start this sort of thing? I've never spoken in an environment like this before. I was scared and I was literally shaking. But I remembered in that moment this verse because I've been preparing to teach on this. And I remembered it's in that moment that God filled the apostles with his spirit and gave them confidence. And suddenly it feels like God just took over because I had the confidence then just to engage a pub of random people, some of whom have already given me a bit of abuse. And I was scared, but I can testify that what happened to Peter and John happened to me. I'm just an ordinary bloke and I was scared. But I knew Jesus and I wanted to share something of him with others. I hope and pray it was a good evening. We had some great conversations afterwards. I spoke to a lady who is dying of terminal cancer. I spoke to an alcoholic. I spoke to a universalist. Um, I spoke to a couple of teenagers. It was an amazing evening. God gives you courage when you don't think you can have it. And notice then, because it's the Spirit of God who gives this boldness and courage, I love, it's my favorite verse in the Bible. Look at verse 20. I just love this. This is sort of, it's so defiant, but so confident in God. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Peter and John may not have been able to have every answer to every question, but they could speak of what they've seen and heard. Indeed, John wrote his gospel to testify to what he had seen and heard. And the great joy is here are some men who were probably trembling in their boots in front of 70, maybe 100 people who were opposing them. They were ordinary people, but they knew Jesus and they knew what he had done in their life. So they shared something of him. And more than that, they just said, I can't help speaking of him. I had a friend in Oxford who's now a pastor. He was working with students at a church in Oxford. He was an evangelist. He had an amazing gift to engage people in a very natural way, the way that very few of us can. He's the sort of guy, you go into a supermarket, they give you a receipt, he'd give them a gospel and have a conversation. He just did it in such a natural way. It was amazing. I could never do it. But he could never stop helping himself, speaking of what he's seen in her because he so loved Christ. It didn't really matter if the shopkeeper turned around and thought something silly of him because it's the honor of Jesus. And that's why when it comes to evangelism, it's not ultimately about how much you know, about how well you can articulate yourself. It's actually about how well do you know Christ? Because if you know him and if you love him, you'll want to share him with others. Your testimony is testifying to what you have seen and heard. As our writer said earlier, we forget we're called to be witnesses to what we have seen and heard, not to what we don't know. And so I want to encourage you 
that your story, if you're a Christian believer, if you put your trust in Christ, is part of his story. History. His story. He is the author of history. He was there in the beginning. He'll be there in the end. History is his story. And if you put your trust in Christ, you have a little story that's part of his big story. Let me just read it to you. There's a really clever little book all about this idea of story. And the writer sort of provocatively says, look, what if, what if all the great stories you've ever, that have ever moved you, that have ever brought you to joy or tears, what if they are telling you something about the true story into which you were born? We won't begin to understand our lives or what this so-called gospel is that Christianity speaks of until we understand the story into which we have found ourselves. For when you were born, you were born into an epic that has already been underway for quite some time. Your story is part of his story. Now, your story may have a very defining moment. You remember the day, the hour, when you gave your life to Christ. It may have been a very gradual journey, and you can't remember the day or hour. We've all got different stories. But the point is, not being able to recall exactly how it happened, but is it true that you have confidence that it has happened? Confidence that Jesus has died for you. Confidence that he rose again for you. Because if you are conscious of that, then you've got a story to tell. And that is a wonderful privilege and a wonderful joy. Ordinary unschooled people who'd been with Jesus, who knew Jesus, and therefore could not help speaking about Jesus. If you get scared with the whole idea of evangelism, sharing your faith, just think about Jesus. Think about all that he's done for you because that gives you courage when you're scared to talk to someone. It tells you or reminds you what to talk about. Talk about him. Get on to him because his name is powerful. And I want to encourage us with that today. Great. Well, it's going to be over to you now. Um, There's just some thoughts from Acts chapter 4 to help us to see an example of treasure gospel in jars of clay weak people what i'd love you to do is um i should have handed these out at the beginning i've got two little handouts here i just perhaps ask um, if a couple of people could uh, could pass these around thanks no what would be great i've um i put this together this is um just two sides it's just some little diagrams which some people find helpful for explaining the gospel this is we're not going to look at this tonight but it's for you to take away if sometimes you want a bit of clarity of how to share a bit of your story with others, then this is a a great little resource. You can go away and learn it. You can talk about it with friends. Um, Little gospel outlines. But we're going to do something a bit different. We're going to do some jargon busting. Uh, There's nothing worse than speaking of your faith to others and using long Christian words that they don't understand and you probably don't understand either. It's just a waste of time. So we're going to spend some time in little groups helping each other to speak of all that Christ has done in our life in just really normal, plain, simple English. Uh, or different language if you prefer. So what would be great to do, um, we're just going to move around. You can get into little groups, you can go up onto the balcony, you can spread yourselves out. Just get into fours and fives. Uh, and then when you're in your little groups, I'll explain what we're going to do. Just get in groups that you're happy to work with, that would be great. Uh, you've got three choices. If you want to mix and match between the three choices, that's fine. It's sort of a pick and mix. But I've done three little exercises, and you can work out which would be helpful. In box A, you've got some Christian words. These are amazing words that are full of deep, rich meaning. Uh, they come up in the Bible all the time. 
Some of you may not understand what they all mean, and your friends almost certainly will have no idea what the word propitiation means. It's a long word, it's difficult. You may have some in the group who have no idea, you have some in the group who might better help you. If you want, you can spend a bit of time in your group just trying to help each other explain these words. So perhaps one day you might be opening the Bible with a friend and they ask you, what's that word atonement? What does it all mean? Can you put that word into really simple English without using that word itself? That's your challenge. If you don't want to do that, you can do B. Uh, B is just some phrases that you might well use when you're telling your story. They're pretty normal phrases that you could use. Yet, each of those phrases has got one word in at least that may be not understandable to your friends. We, we often say, well, I was made to worship God. But worship is a very Christian word. What does it mean? So you can unpack those phrases. And then the last uh, option is there's some Bible verses that are often used in testimonies. They're great verses that explain the gospel. But again, they're full of kind of Christian words. Can you unpack the verse and put it into really simple English to help your friend? So just have a go in little groups. We're going to pull things to a close shortly. I hope that's just begun to give you a little bit of help and confidence as you've helped each other. I think one of the great things that we can do as Christians is help each other uh, share our story. So just to remind us as we go away, this little gospel outline is just a really helpful way of sometimes explaining your faith. You could perhaps work through that with a friend this week. But just before we close, are there any kind of particular patterns that have been coming up or particular burning questions you've got that you couldn't answer in your group that would be just helpful to think about and share just for two or three minutes before we finish? Yeah, there we go. That's a long Bible word. Good. Can anyone help with that understanding of propitiation? It's the, it's the idea in the Bible of the turning away. God turns his anger away from us. Um, in, you know the phrase scapegoat? Have you ever heard that phrase? In the Bible, when there were, dif- there were different sacrifices, one of the things that the Israelites did is they lay their hands on a goat and sort of it was a way of acknowledging all their sin was laid on the goat and they cast the goat out into the desert and the goat was turned away from them and the goat went off into the wilderness and died and it's that picture of God turning his anger away from us so we are meant to be in the firing line of his anger his right anger because we've rejected him but God turns his anger away from us and it's placed on Christ that's what that word means it's a big word though and we don't use it very much but it sometimes comes up yeah do you won't be ignorant because most people, a lot of people will struggle with these words. Yeah, atonement. Can anyone help out with atonement? It's a really key word. Chris Lilly, there we are, textbook. Bringing you back into the right relationship with God. Okay. Good. That's a helpful way of remembering it. Look at the word, atonement, at one It's this idea of being at one with God because... Our sins have been atoned for, the idea of our, the, pi, the price being paid. That's what the word atonement meant. Um, Leviticus chapter 7, uh, that's circum, uh, atonement, where does that come up? Help me out, Neil. Uh, there's a, uh, sorry, mind blank, there's a key passage all on this. I think it's Leviticus chapter 17 that speaks about atonement and the first time in the Bible. Um, but it's, it's about when... Uh, the sacrifice, when an animal was put on um, the altar to be sacrificed, it was atoning for the sins of the people. It was paying the penalty. And it's the penalty that's paid in our place that makes us at one with God. Yeah. Any other thoughts or encouragements? Is it helps you just sharing a little, few thoughts with each other? You looked at B, yeah. 
Can I just repeat that for those who couldn't hear? So he's just saying, a lot of these phrases here are assuming a lot of knowledge, assuming that when you speak of Jesus being my saviour with great joy, people are like, this person's a nutter. Saviour from what? I'm on the other side of the road, the bus isn't going to hit me. That kind of idea. So it's really helpful just to point out that we won't, when we're talking to our friends, we don't want to assume that they understand anything that we understand, and so we have to go back to real basics. That's the point of this exercise, really. Yeah, thanks. Steve? Well, I think the common belief is um, that everybody goes to heaven when they die. You know, they, they, don't, they don't see no need for saying, I'll have a good life, uh, you know, I'll be all right. Mm. Everybody goes to heaven when they die. I mean, how, how, how do you know that? So that's a difficult question. Everyone goes to heaven. Um, universalism is the kind of understanding that God will kind of save everyone. We'll all end up in heaven at the end of the day because God's a loving God. The problem with that is it takes the love of God and it divorces it from the wrath of God. And both are good. Both are loving. If you want to think a bit more about that, there's a great little book written by a guy called Don Carson called The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God. And he unpacks how can a loving God also judge people. It's a brilliant book. You cannot have a God who loves who also doesn't judge because it's not real loving. Uh, and it's a great book that explains it in a really simple way. The difficult doctrine of the love of God. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things I really want to encourage you, and we'll end now, is that often people will ask you questions and you won't have the answer. And as I said earlier, the more you read, the more you realize you don't know. And it doesn't matter how many years you study theological books and think things through, you won't always have answers to questions. But I just want to bring us back to where we were in Acts chapter 4. Just want to send us all out encouraged that these were ordinary people who knew Jesus and therefore couldn't help speaking about him. And to share your story or your testimony is to speak of what you have seen and heard. It could just be how God has worked in a particular area of your life. But that is what it means to share our faith. And I hope as we've looked at that, it's given you a little bit more confidence this Christmas that maybe as you knock on a door and hand a Christmas flyer over, you have a chance of saying something about what Christmas means to you. Um, I do this a lot and I was scared the other day but I really felt God was with me and it's the same God who's with each of us so can I encourage you that as we leave let me close in a prayer together loving father we know that the gospel is true and real but we so often struggle to explain it to others sometimes we're nervous perhaps often Sometimes we just get confused with our thoughts and we know what we want to say, but we just can't say it. Sometimes, if we're honest, we're ashamed of you and we'd rather have an easy life than to speak of you with our friends. But I pray this Christmas that we would be overjoyed afresh with Emmanuel, God with us. That we'd be overjoyed with Jesus, God saves. I pray that you would help us to have confidence this Christmas to speak of you. Lord, when we're feeling weak, may we encourage each other. Please would you encourage us to know that we have your Holy Spirit living within us, the same Spirit that encouraged Peter to testify in front of all those opposition. Lord, give us a boldness to speak with great joy in normal language about our love for you and all that you've done for us. And we even pray now that as we leave here and we maybe go back to our homes, back to the office tomorrow morning, there might be someone that we would be ne never have ever shared the gospel with, but you would give us an opportunity to. Help us to pray for those opportunities and help us to share this wonderful news of Christmas with those that we meet this week. Amen.